You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. Let's not act like Bruce Arians got Tom Brady there. Let, let's let's not do that. Opinionated. I wanted Tom Brady to stay because I feel he deserved to retire a Patriot. I felt he was owed that. To the point. Cam is going to a place that is rebuilding or he's hand-holding for a younger quarterback. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas show on a Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We are back. We go up until about 645, and then it's high school basketball. Brent Curtis will be courtside at about 645 for boys hoops between Lake Region and Lamoille. So we've got a full show to get to in the next 75 minutes or so. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, as he is every single Thursday at 545, will be with us. We'll discuss a really interesting question regarding the New York Yankees, and we'll discuss Nikhil Harry's, uh, to some, frustrating comments on his situation in New England. As always, you can get in on the Napa Waterbury, Napa Morrisville text line, your locally owned Napa stores, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Everybody, let's get to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And... Here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. So longtime Red Sox outfielder and gold glove winner Jackie Bradley Jr. is officially gone now. He signs a two-year, $24 million deal with the Milwaukee Brewers. He's got a player option after this first year. So he can opt out after this season if he wants to re-enter the free agent market for any reason. Okay, there are a few things at play here. First, I think Jackie Bradley Jr. makes the Brewers better. The Brewers are a team that should be competing for a playoff berth, and he makes them better. He helps them defensively, and he helps answer some questions they have in their outfield. Lorenzo Cain's about to be 35 years old. He opted out of last season after just a couple of games, so he's coming back. Questions about him and his game. He's really got essentially you know, a year off last season, so Bradley can come in, play center field if they want him to, and be great in center field. They can move Kane to the corner and arguably get better there as well because Kane is a phenomenal outfielder. We'll see how everything translates from essentially the year off, but he gives them more depth in their outfield defensively and should help their pitchers. So he, Jackie Bradley Jr., makes them better defensively. And he also just gives the Brewers more depth. I mean, Kane has questions. Avisail Garcia, who they signed last year to a two-year deal, didn't have a particularly strong year, so there's questions about him as well. So more depth in the outfield, better defensively. I also think that Jackie Bradley Jr.'s skill set will translate well to the National League where his speed can be more of a weapon. They can do more things small ball-wise with JBJ. So defense and speed, I think, are huge components here that help Milwaukee. And offensively, i got to think that Bradley's going to be a little bit better as well, at least in the average department. Now, he hit 283 last year in the truncated season. It was his best offensive season overall from an average perspective. But I think, look, when you're facing the Rays and the Yankees and now, you know, for your whole career and now you don't need to, I got to think there's going to be an upgrade there. The Pirates may be the worst team in baseball. The Reds got significantly worse than last year's playoff roster, especially in the pitching department, losing Trevor Bauer and they traded away their closer, etc. So I think the Reds are a team that you can hit. The Cardinals certainly are good and um, the Cubs, they've taken a step back as well this year in terms of selling off some pieces. Still have some pieces, but They've gotten worse also. So there's certainly, I think, an ability for JBJ to to help out offensively there also. So all in all, for the Brewers, I think this is a great move. From Bradley's perspective, I think it's, it, it's a very good scenario for him. 
I just laid out the reasons why I think he ends up playing well in Milwaukee. So I think it ultimately makes him look good. I think he contributes. Two years, $24 million is nothing to sneeze at. So just from a guaranteed money standpoint, um, from a guaranteed money standpoint, he does well. And also, if he plays great this year and opts out, then he hits the free agent market again next year with a chance to get the bigger payday that he probably wanted all along. So it's great for the Brewers. I think it's good, very good for JBJ. Now the question is, would you have brought Jackie Bradley Jr. back to the Red Sox under those conditions? Two years, $24 million. Text line is open, 802-585-3026, the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. Would you, to the Red Sox, have brought JBJ back for that two-year, $24 million deal? For me, the answer is a resounding yes, but it comes with a huge disclaimer. I really don't believe the Red Sox ever got the chance to make this favorable of a deal. This is a hugely team-friendly contract for Milwaukee. Now, $24 million is $24 million. JBJ still, you know, let's not... You know, write home to mom about how he's not getting anything here. But from what he wanted, I'm sure, this is a lesser deal. Still good in the grand scheme of life. But this is a massively team-friendly deal. If I were the Red Sox, I would have made it. But I don't think that they ever got a chance to make it. And what I mean is this. I truly believe the Red Sox were interested all along in getting Jackie Bradley Jr. back, right? Leadership, community involvement, great defensive prowess, loves Alex Cora, um... You know, streaky enough offensively to warrant, you know, you at least liking his skill set there. But he's a Scott Boris client. Scott Boris is the um, super agent who drives the price up on teams all around baseball, and he's been doing it for years. I got to think that Bradley and Boris together wanted a much longer and much more lucrative contract. So I got to think that they waited for George Springer to set the outfield market, and he eventually did. Six years, $150 million with Toronto. He signed that deal on January 21st. So Bradley was never going to sign until after Springer signed. The Red Sox season ended in September. So between the end of September and January 21st, that's three and a half months that the Red Sox just sat there and waited for Jackie Bradley Jr. I think they wanted him back, but at some point... They just were like, look, we're going to go about our offseason. And do that, they did. They brought in Hunter Renfro. Then, you know, Springer signs, and you start to think maybe the Bradley market's going to move, but I'm sure there's Boris still holding out for more money. Money that the Red Sox didn't want to pay. And frankly, I wouldn't have given Jackie Bradley a four-year, $70 million deal. I wouldn't have done that. I don't think that his at his age with his skill set, that he's going to translate. I don't need a 35-year-old outfielder that doesn't play as good a defense or don't doesn't run as well as he did in his heyday. I would have done this deal. I wouldn't have done four years for 70 or whatever I picture Scott Boris wanting for him. So then the Red Sox finally just say, look, we're not going to pay that. And I think that was smart. And then they go out and they trade Andrew Benatendi. And they start to solidify their outfield further. They get So they get Franchi Cordero and they've got... Um, for Dugo, and they've got Renfro. Then they start adding on, and they bring in Marwin Gonzalez. And today they signed Danny Santana, who we'll, go, uh, who we'll talk about after the 6 o'clock hour. The Red Sox now, they're, they're done. Their moves are done in the outfield. I think Jackie Bradley Jr. was wanted back, but he was never going to be wanted back at the huge money deal. And the Red Sox just said, look, we're not going to wait anymore. We need to move. So move, Heim Bloom did. And again, he gets Renfro, he trades Benatendi, and then he now goes and starts to supplement getting some other players like Marwin Gonzalez and Danny Santana. At some point, they wanted him. But now they didn't need him. They've got versatile guys there. They've got Kike Hernandez and Chavis, all these guys that can play the outfield as well. The reports came out, I think... If this deal had presented itself in early January or even late January, the Red Sox probably would do it. But they just got tired of waiting. And they got tired of waiting at the idea of big money. Reports were that the Red Sox offered Bradley a deal, but it was nowhere near what Milwaukee gave him. So what is that? I don't know. One year, $7 million? 
Now that I would say is insulting if I'm Jackie Bradley Jr. If that if that's the kind of number it was, we don't know that. But I see what the Red Sox did. Look, we're tired of waiting. We'll take our shot. And if you don't like it, then leave. And he left. I think it works out great for Milwaukee. I think JBJ gets a real chance to play well and make himself look good. And he can either hit the free agent market next year or the year after, still young enough to acquire another contract in Major League Baseball. And for the Red Sox, I think ultimately they've still done what I like them to do. They've gotten younger. They've gotten athletic. And they've gotten some guys with upside. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open, 802-585-3026. Dane in Rochester says, yes, I would have brought him back. We get one from Joe in Burlington who says, is the Red Sox uh, or the former Red Sox great Brock Holt still with the Brewers? That answer is no. Brock Holt is with the, I want to say the Texas Rangers. Uh, Let's see. Let's verify that. Yes, Texas Rangers is Brock Holt. Holt went from after the, uh, let's see, he was with the Brewers. Then he went to the Nationals last year, and now he's with the Rangers. He did that deal about a month ago, so that is where he is. Uh, Joe also says, I would have brought Bradley back, even though he's inconsistent at times at the plate. There's nobody better to play center field at Fenway Park. I, I think that is a fair assessment also of the Red Sox. While I understand not paying massively for Jackie Bradley Jr., and I understand not wanting to wait anymore, there's a real concern about the defense in this outfield now. I think Verdugo can be good. Renfro, I've always thought of just a hit-first player. Marwin Gonzalez is a super utility guy and is good, but he's not a 160-game outfield player. J.D. Martinez is below average at this point in his career, and we don't know a whole lot about Franchi Cordero, but the fact that we've only heard about him for his bat and his legs doesn't lead me to believe that he's going to be some great defensive specimen out there in his first go at it at Fenway Park. And given the questions about the pitching staff on this team, they're going to need some help from their defense, and in the outfield at least, I don't know if they're going to get it. Bogarts is great. Devers has moments. I think Hernandez will be good at second. Dahlbeck Jury is out on him at first, but I think by and large, defense is going to be a concern for this team because we just don't know a whole lot about the outfield. In the infield, Devers at least has some questions. I trust Vasquez. I trust Bogarts. I trust Hernandez. I trust Verdugo. I trust the middle of the field, and that's huge. But losing JBJ, there are some real concerns here. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Um... One last thing, I do like the one thing that's good about Bradley not being there is that you're not tying up for several years a spot that's going to impact a youngster's development. Jarrett Duran, Franchi Cordero, when they're ready, they're going to get chances to play. Cordero's probably going to be day one, opening day, and Duran is coming. I don't know when, but he homered yesterday and he homered again today in spring training play against the Orioles. So I didn't need Jackie Bradley at 35 tying up spots, blocking those guys. But again, one year, this two-year deal, I would have done it. I just don't think it ever presented itself. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. When we come back, am I right on my assessment of Jackie Bradley Jr.? What do we think of him not being here? And the Celtics, they're all of a sudden red hot. Am I right to be excited? Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. He's going to be with us next right here on WDEV. Six. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. So welcome back. It's The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us as he does every single Thursday at this time, it's our guy Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston. Adam, what's up, man? How are you? Doing all right. You know, getting ready for the weekend. How about yourself? I'm getting ready for the weekend. Also getting ready to end the first half of the NBA season tonight for the Celtics as they take on the Raptors. They're on a mini run. They've won three straight. They're 18 and 17. My question to you is how good can Robert Williams be? And should I be as excited as I am? I thought your question was going to be, so it's all fixed, right? Nobody needs to be fired or traded. This is, you know, right back to contender status. Robert Williams uh, is the fix. I'm a huge Robert Williams fan. I, I'm a Robert Williams stan. I have been for, uh, you know, certainly if, you know, if you were to go back and look at some of my tweets from last season, this, this isn't one of those like, oh, uh, yeah, I've been telling you. I mean, the receipts are there, man. You can go back, you yeah. can look. I was, you know, at least before the injury and he missed 50 games, I, I was going into the season last year saying, okay, he's not ready yet, 
But how far are we? How how big a goal is this for the team for Robert Williams to, by season's end, be your starting center? Yeah. And, you know, that that was really where I envisioned things going. And and who knows, maybe Brad Stevenson company envisioned things going that way as well. But as we know, obviously, Williams missed uh, a good chunk of the year. Most of the year dealt with the variety of injuries and, you know, he was just slowed down. And and when he came back in, in the bubble, you know, at, at the restart, looked pretty good, looked much better even in the playoffs. And for the most part, it's looked pretty good this year, especially as he started to play more when you see him out on the court for 20 plus minutes. And, you know, he's out there like this last game. He had, uh, I think it was 13 points. 13 and and eight. A, a, well, but a total, not even just the eight. I mean, it was a total of uh, rebounds, assists and blocks. He had 15, you know, so he, mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's filling out the stat sheet a little bit when he actually has an opportunity to do so. And I would just, I would love to see him playing more. He's so athletic. You know, he's, there's uh, obviously as a big, there's an element to what this team has been missing that he gives you. I I think that he is, you know, he's a long ways off, a long, long ways off. Maybe we'll never even get there from us putting him in a a similar conversation with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But with respect to just being a foundational piece for this team, I think he's absolutely entering that conversation to where, you know, now it's 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 not like I'm I'm not delusional. It's not like he's untouchable in a trade or something like that. But he is becoming one of those guys that you at least have to think long and hard about. You hesitate giving up depending on what's coming in return, just because I think there's a ceiling there. I think there is a a legitimate ceiling there that has him as a game changer, and we have seen it in spurts. And it's good to see him starting to play some late game crucial minutes. So I, I like Robert Williams, too. I love the athleticism when he came out. Now the smarts are there, staying out of foul trouble, also using that athleticism properly. But I'm, I can understand Tice playing because Tice offers you a shooting element that Williams doesn't. And I can understand Thompson playing because he offers mm-hmm. you a toughness and gritty element. You have those guys that do things pretty well. So where does Robert Williams fit in when compared to them? Who's he overtaking? I think it's, and this is kind of a cop-out, but is also true to form to the way Brad Stevens sort of runs his team on the floor. It's kind of matchup dependent, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're not always going to want him out there over a Tice or over a Thompson, but there are absolutely times, you know, less so Thompson, probably more so Tice, because they are just, you know, I think Williams and Thompson, while they're not super similar players, they are more similar than Williams yes. and Tice are. And so, you know, if, if you're, in that kind of matchup, that kind of grinding, you know, bodies in the middle. And and Tom Williams is is not a big body. He's big in that he's tall, but he's lanky. He's not, you know, he's not like Adebayo in, in yeah. the middle or or a, a Jokic in the middle or obviously an Embiid or a Giannis in the middle. He's, you know, he's, he's got to get a little girth to, to get there. <laughs> but again, he's young, he's developing and, and that muscle that you know that development all of that it it just comes it comes with time I mean Giannis and I'm not saying Williams will ever be Giannis but Giannis was a twig when he entered the NBA and now dude is jacked so um you know that stuff especially when you're healthy and you can regularly be in the gym that stuff comes with time I think you can absolutely argue that in certain matchups you'd rather have a Williams out there on the floor than a Tice or just and again kind of circling back to this being a cop-out you know, it's just a different minutes distribution. It's it's not, you know, you need Williams out there for 40 minutes and Tice for 15. You know, how about one's out there for 25 and the other uh, the other one's out there for 20? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there could just be a, a little bit more balance to uh, to that than what we've been seeing to this point. And I, I, I do think that is coming. And I, I think fans should be happy to see what we're seeing just before the All-Star break here. Jalen Brown is going to the All-Star game. He's been battling knee tendonitis. He's missed some time with knee issues. Lou Merloni at WEEI was going off saying he shouldn't play in the All-Star game. Where do you land on that? Because I'm, I'm, was it Kemba or Kyrie? Kemba was hurt last year going to the All-Star game and played. I thought he shouldn't have played. He didn't, and he, then he was continued to be hurt. So where do we stand on Jalen Brown? It's. I tweeted this yesterday. This is becoming my favorite midseason Celtics talking <laughs> head argument because you know it was Kyrie Irving a few years ago, and then it's Kemba Walker, and now it's Brown, and even Tatum. You know, you could make a case for not playing in this game. And I, I think no matter where you land on it, and by all means, if if you're among the group 
that thinks like these guys, you know, if, if you if you're missing regular season games or if your minutes are limited and you're not be able to contribute to the full extent to help your your actual club that is chasing a championship in, in the you know best case scenario win a game, then how in the world should you be out there for an all star game? If, if you're of, of that camp, these guys shouldn't play in a glorified exhibition, especially one in a year where there aren't even all the fans and celebrities yeah. and it's the normal spectacle that it is. I get it. And honestly, if like hook up Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens to a, a lie detector or give them the truth serum or whatever it is, like they may tell you they don't want them to play either. But the the ultimately the bottom line is this. It's a player's league and they want to play. They're going to play. And a, a team is you know, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that's going to mandate that one of his stars not play in an all-star game because teams are so afraid of alienating their stars, even the ones that are under contract. I mean, we've seen guys can be under contract and still force their way out. Look at James Harden, right? Yeah. So there are – this is a player's league, and if these guys want to go and play in these games, there's just – you know, like it or don't like it, there's nothing you can do about it. Now, obviously, if it were up to me, you know – Tatum wouldn't even go, and I know he's starting. Tatum wouldn't even go just because, look, I mean, the guy is still recovering from COVID. His, mm-hmm. and it's apparent watching him on the floor. His shooting percentages, pre-diagnosis, post-diagnosis, and we have a, a decent sample of both, have been putrid by comparisons to him. You know, compared to his standard, he has not been good the last 20 games. And he himself admitted his breathing has been out of whack, that he is not the same. He is not fully over it. So you need to go play in an all-star game. If we're up to me, you know, you you take the the break, the handful of days, and you reset. And as far as Jalen Brown, you know, I get it's a little bit different, right? It's his native Atlanta. You know, he he wants to go there and and maybe see friends and family and just you know be a part of the whole thing and obviously wants to play and it's his first all-star game. Like I get all of it. If we're if we're up to me, there's a happy medium there, which is look. You're injured. You have knee tendonitis. You're you've missed games lately. You're not at full strength when you do play. Don't play in this game. Go sit on the bench. Take part in the three point contest. You know, there's like there's there's no level of exertion to that. There's no reason yeah. you can't do that. Like you know, take part in the three point contest. Still be out there. Don't play in the exhibition. That's that's again. If I had my druthers, that's what it would be. I mean, I think that he's half right in his decision. Like, hey, my body's not where it needs to be right now. Of course, I'm not going to participate in a dunk contest, but yeah, three-point contest, whatever. To anyone out there, and I've, I've heard this, you know, I've heard people say this, you know, you're not well enough to participate in the dunk contest, but you can play in the three-point shootout. Well, yeah, those are two <laughs> totally different things. I mean, they, they don't even work the same muscles. That That's fine with me. You don't need to play in the game, but who am I to tell Jalen Brown that? You know what I mean? So it's that that's just where we're at. Adam Kaufman, WBZ News Radio in Boston, with us as he is every Thursday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Baseball news broke, I don't know, 4 a.m. ish. It sounded like Jackie Bradley Jr. going to the Milwaukee Brewers, a two year, $24 million deal. Mm-hmm. Um, JBJ has been a long, polarizing figure in Boston. Here's what I'll say I would have given him the two year, $24 million deal to stay in Boston. I just don't know that that was ever given to them as an option. Like, it feels like Scott Boris wanted a four-year, $80 million deal all along and then took this at the last second, and the Red Sox never really had a chance to make this kind of offer. Did you see it the same way? So I think there's a bigger picture issue at play there, to me at least. Um, You know, you remove the money, you remove the years, the contract, all that stuff. If you were to listen to Jackie Bradley Jr. toward the end of last season and all the times in the second half of that two-month year uh, and into the, you know, offseason, start of the offseason, when he was asked about his future and asked about his time in Boston and asked about free agency and all of the things relating to what we're talking about here, there is never one time, not one passing comment where he gave the slightest indication that he even wanted to come back to Boston. Hmm. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't let's 
you know, we'll see what happens in free agency. And obviously I got a lot to think about my family and, and this and that, and, and it's not going to be an easy decision, but man, I've loved it here. And the people that I've met in this community and this fan base, and we won a world series and, and my gold glove and, you know, ALCS MVP and, and so much that we accomplished and all the guys that I played with and like this Boston has really been home for these last several years. And, and who knows, maybe it'll work out. I'd love to be back. Never even a sniff of any of that. He always, to me, I never for one second, despite how long it took him to to find a job and a, a deal that he was willing to settle for here into the start of spring training, there was never one second that I thought he was coming back because I don't think he wanted to. For one, I, I, And I don't know why. You know, I, I don't know if it was a a thing with ownership or management or, you know, maybe he maybe he didn't love the fan base because he was so polarizing. There were so many people that were against him. I have no idea what it was other than it just to me seemed so clear. He wanted no part in a future in Boston. I'll get you out of here on this. Totally random from anything else we ever talk about. I don't know if you saw this story, but in the state of Kentucky, they are allowing high school seniors a fifth year of high school. And it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, but if you're an athlete, you can come back and you can play that fifth year. Would you? Would Adam Kaufman want to be a 19-year-old fifth-year high school senior? Because I... I at first, I was like, why the hell would I ever want to be in high school for five years? And then part yeah. of me keeps coming back to like, you know what? I can win a state title, help myself get a chance to be better for a college at, you know, scholarship potential. You know, there's going to be a guy who's got a girlfriend who he wants to stay around for. I see people doing this, Adam. Well, so I guess I go back to the first thing that you said in the question, which was you don't even have to be an athlete. If you're an athlete, I can see the incentive in doing it like what you just said. Maybe you're you're upping your stock or your recruitment to college or whatever it may be, your chances of getting drafted to go play baseball. I don't know. I mean, there are any any number of different athletically driven reasons that you could maybe justify it. If I'm just regular dude, you know, me talking about staying for a fifth year, I mean, no chance. There's no there's no part of me that would uh that that would be enticed to do that unless you told me that like all of my friends were doing it. yes you know but you know and then it's at least you're all in it together and it's another year of hanging with all your buddies and you know maybe there's that girlfriend from home like you said or, or whatever it is there you know you're you're all kind of just in it and it's this extension of high school but you know what if er mostly everybody moves on and you just stay back and then you're just making new friends with kids who are in the grades below you and you know, all of your, your like your friends are off to college or maybe they're taking a, you know, a, a, a sabbatical year or whatever yeah. it is. But but like you're still in high school and and taking all those same tests and and applying to college or to, no, like that yeah. sounds awful. There's <laughs> terrible. No, thank you. I also and, wonder. And, and by the way, not even just high school, like I wouldn't want to do that in college at the you know, I loved my four years in college. At the end, I was ready to go like I was let's let's enter the world. I could I I could have hung around for another Wednesday night, uh, you know, a couple Wednesday nights of chicken wings and cheap beer. I could I I, I might have been able yeah, to I mean, be enticed minus, minus the classes, sure. Yeah, true. That's that's for sure. So uh, it's an interesting story. I'm wondering how many really small high schools Kentucky must have because I don't think you could do this. Like, hey, you got a thousand seniors that might leave, but 500 of them going to stay, and a thousand freshmen are going to come in. Where are you going to put everybody? So I, these better be small schools in Kentucky is my first thought here. So yeah. Adam Coffin, WBZ News Radio, Celtics expert, sees end their uh, first half tonight against the Raptors. They're one game over 500. Adam, we appreciate the time and perspective as always. We'll do it again next week. Anytime. I appreciate it. Adam Kaufman is always I got a text in uh, from Jackson in Hinesburg who said Adam Kaufman is a great guest. Love hearing from him every single week. So you can you also can text in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. What we're going to do is we will go to the CBS top of the hour break. We'll have the guys cut up the Adam Kaufman interview. We'll get you our takeaways from this interview as well because Adam is always great uh, in that department. And uh, when we come back, an interesting claim I saw on Twitter yesterday. Are the New York Yankees incapable of finding drafting and developing talent. I wholeheartedly disagree. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. 
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We go up until 645-ish, and then we'll have high school basketball. Brent Curtis courtside for Lake Region against Lamoille. We'll have that for you. Again, high school hoops today on WDEV. If you miss any of the show, you can always subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. One programming note, tomorrow we are off the air essentially. I think maybe a 15-minute live show we'll have because we have high school basketball tomorrow, a time that's been moved up to 545, Williamstown and Hazen. So what I'm thinking of doing tomorrow is putting out is doing a show and then putting it out digitally on the podcast page and uh, you know letting you guys consume it that way. I hate leaving you hanging. I hate when you're expecting a show to not have a show. So um, you know I'm I'm interested in what you guys think. You can text in at 802-585-3026. Would you be interested if I put out a show tomorrow for you? on the podcast channel exclusively because, uh, again, it will be a short show tomorrow. I got some ideas. Some I've already got a guest that I am going to have tomorrow as well, and uh, that will be going up also. But uh, thinking of putting together a full show plan just on the podcast channel. So 802-585-3026, the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line is open. You guys always respond well to the digital stuff, so uh, appreciate all of that. Uh, TJ says, yes, put out a show. And uh, TJ, I am I am thinking of doing it. I'm, I'm planning on doing that. I know Mike McMahon, college hockey insider, is going to join me tomorrow, so I'm thinking of, uh, of doing something around him. It may not be a full 90 minutes, but we will have something there. And uh, maybe I'll bring my buddy Gazin, who we had on on Monday's show. Uh, maybe we'll have him kick some fun with us as well. So. Because, hey, the sports news never stops. Even if we're not on all the way, we will put out a show tomorrow, um, you know, digitally. So appreciate all of you. Gary Sheffield, you know him, right? Obviously, longtime Major League Baseball star, 500 home runs, possible Hall of Famer. His son works for Outkick.com, which is a popular media site. He's a Yankee fan. Sheffield played for the Yankees, Gary did. His son, Gary Sheffield Jr., says the Yankees do not draft and develop talent well. The Yankees do not draft and develop talent well. If you're a Yankee fan, how do you feel about that claim? Because I wholeheartedly disagree with it. And I responded to that tweet to Gary Sheffield Jr. and said, I disagree with this. And let's let's let this be clear here. Drafting in baseball is important, right? You want to be able to draft well. But your pipeline is so much more than drafting. Your prospect pipeline is about international signings. It's about uh, trading for prospects. It's about getting prospects that are maybe unheralded. It's all about just finding, identifying, and developing talent. It's less about just drafting. So let's start here. How many players in the Yankees are homegrown? And again, I disagree with this talent, with, with, with Gary Sheffield's take. I think the Yankees do a very good job at roster construction. Homegrown players the Yankees have. Aaron Judge, we could all agree that he is good. Aaron Judge is good. He's a home run for them. Brett Gardner, I know a lot of people think he's old and over the hill now. Brett Gardner's been good for New York for a long time. He was a homegrown and developed player. He's been there for a decade. I absolutely think that Brett Gardner and Aaron Judge are two examples of really good homegrown players they have. They also have Gary Sanchez, who I know doesn't hit for any average, but certainly still does do some things well and has had productivity at this point in his career. And the jury is out on Luis Severino, who, when healthy, is extremely good, though. So... Between Judge and Gardner and Sanchez and Severino, I think that's a pretty good job so far at developing just homegrown talent alone. Then remember they had Dellen Batances for a long time, who was really, really good. That you know, recently he was an all-star for them. So I think the Yankees have shown that they can develop talent from within their system. They also, and this is I think another mark, this is kind of the Patriots quality, the ability to pull guys off the scrap heap and turn them into something. The Yankees have done that too. Had any of you heard of Gio Urshela before he started busting out for the Yankees? 90% of you would be lying if you said yes. 
Gio Urshela was at one point a defensive-minded infielder with the Cleveland Indians who couldn't stick in the big leagues. Now he's a guy who can hit 20 home runs and plays great defense. Urshela was a cast-off. The Yankees found and turned into something. Same thing with Luke Voigt. I couldn't tell you anything about Luke Voigt, and I like to think I'm pretty well in tune with the, with, with, with baseball in general. They found Luke Voigt. They found Gio Urshela. They had Tommy Canely for a couple of years, who was really good in their bullpen. They pulled him off the scrap heap, too. He was a Rule 5 selection back in the day. So the New York Yankees, they've got homegrown talent. They've developed talent they pulled off the scrap heap. They've also shown the ability to, to acquire talent and understand what talent looks like. Okay, Chad Green, by the way, they pulled off the scrap heap who they got from Detroit. And Chad Green is one of their best bullpen arms. They acquired Glaber Torres, identified proper talent, and got him. They acquired Didi Gregorius back in the day, who turned into really good. They also had a homegrown talent in Justice Sheffield, who they turned into James Paxton, who I understand he was injured last year, but James Paxton was really good in 2019. And then, by the way, they're the Yankees, so they can also go buy a plenty of talent. They got LeMayhew and Garrett Cole, and they were able to acquire Stanton. That's what the Yankees do. But I think it's completely unfair to say the Yankees can't develop talent. And I hate the Yankees. But I think they've done a really good job at roster construction. They have gotten away from just buying everybody. The Yankees used to just go and buy everybody. Now, yes, they have bought some. And they have flexed their muscle when needed to. But Severino and Sanchez and Judge and, uh, and Gardner and Urshela and Voigt and Chad Green. And, you know, they've used their prospects to go get guys like Paxton. And they acquired Torres. And they acquired Clint Frazier. Like, I, and, they, you know, they acquired Aaron Hicks, who at the time was, was not much, was not well regarded. And they went and signed him to a long deal, a deal that I don't really love. But, hey, they can do that. The Yankees, I think, have done an unbelievable job at roster construction. And I think that Brian Cashman and his staff really deserve – a lot of credit for how they've put together this roster. It's not just bought and paid for. Frankly, if I were Gary Sheffield Jr., I'd be a whole lot more worried about how many players get injured on the New York Yankees. I'd be less worried about player development as I was their training staff and workout plan. Because with the Yankees should have been able to win a World Series in the last few years. And the reason why they can't is because there's constant injuries. Severino's been out. Paxton's been hurt. Jordan Montgomery was out for a season. Stanton, Torres, LeMayhew, Voigt, they were all hurt. I think Gary Sheffield Jr. should stop worrying about player development for the Yankees and start worrying about player health for the Yankees. That's the bigger concern. I see a text in on the Napa Morrisville text line from uh, uh, Watson, who is in Craftsbury, who says... Brady, I agree. I think the Yankees have done a good job at uh, acquiring prospects and turning those prospects into stuff, whether it's major league talent or whether it is uh, something that they go and trade for, like in the case of a Justice Sheffield. I agree. That's what it's all about. You need prospect depth because you need the ability to turn those players into major league players or ship them away for major league players. It's like what the Red Sox did. It's what I've been advocating for the Red Sox to do again and what I think they are doing now. Jackie Bradley, Mookie Betts, Andrew Benintendi, Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Christian Vasquez, all homegrown Red Sox players. Then you go and trade a Yoan Moncada for a Chris Sale. You go and trade Emmanuel Margot for a Craig Kimbrell. That is what prospect depth allows you to do. And it goes in cycles because you tra- you it all matriculates to the majors and you trade some of it away to go for it, and you got to start the process over again. That's what the Yankees did. That's what the Red Sox are doing. And that is the best way to put together a championship roster with some sustainability. I I disagree completely. Gary Sheffield Sr., or Gary Sheffield Jr., rather, is the son of a maybe Hall of Famer. He's been around more baseball clubhouses than I ever have. I, I would think, though, that he would know that the Yankees have done a good job at roster construction. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. This one was interesting. Adam Kaufman was just on 
about a half hour ago, and Adam's always great. We talked about the Celtics. We talked about JBJ. I ended with him, though, with the question about the state of Kentucky. And if you missed it, the state of Kentucky is allowing high school seniors to come back to school next year, to be seniors again. And it's open to any senior, right? And seniors have all had their high school finale ruined. If you're an athlete, if you were in the drama club, if you were in the chorus, your extracurriculars have been ruined by the pandemic. Maybe your education has been ruined by the pandemic as well. So the state of Kentucky is allowing seniors to come back for a fifth year. And I started wondering, would anybody ever do that? Adam Kaufman, here was his answer. What if mostly everybody moves on and you just stay back? And then you're just making new friends with kids who were in the grades below you. And, you know, all of your, your like your friends are off to college or maybe they're taking a, you know, a, a, a sabbatical year or whatever yeah. it is. But but like you're still in high school. So he says, no, he wouldn't want to. Town or The uh, text line is open. 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Would you want to go back for a fifth year of high school? Would you want to go back for a fifth year of high school? At first, I was like, why would I ever want to do that? Why? Why would I ever want to do that? Why would I want to be a 19-year-old high school senior? And, you know, I I just said, there's no way, man. Just let me get to college. But then the more I think about it, I can see several scenarios where somebody would actually take advantage of this. Like, several scenarios. If you're an athlete, there's a huge advantage to this. Okay, 100%. Individually, it gives you an opportunity to go out and you know, acquire more statistics. Like you're a year stronger, you're a year faster, you're a year more dominant. You were a D3 player, another year in high school, you're a D2 player. Another year in high school, you're a D1 player. Or you were a college player, now you can get drafted into Major League Baseball. If you are a college, if you are a player looking to better your college sports opportunities, I could 100% see why you would go back. 100%. If playing gives you another opportunity or gives you a better opportunity. Team-wise, if you're if you're a guy who or a girl, you know, your whole team, you've got 15 seniors on your team. You grew up playing together. You think you can win a state championship. That may not be for me, but I could see somebody doing that and saying, look, we want to keep our whole team together and we want to accomplish this. We see all the time guys in college football who should go to the draft that come back because they want to try to win a championship. Maybe you could get a team full of seniors to go and do that. I also think financially there will be some students that take advantage of this because of the benefit. If you are someone who has been impacted by the pandemic and you can't easily pay for college as a result of it, Another year to insulate yourself in high school could go a long way. So athletically, I could see where it makes sense. Financially, I could see where it makes sense. Academically, if you're somebody who didn't get educationally the experience you were supposed to have, I could see you being interested in that. Hey, if I come back and put up better grades, um, if I can come back and put up better grades, then I can get to a better school. I could see that. We've all seen this one. A relationship could keep you there, right? How how many people do you know? A senior guy dating a junior girl, vice versa, whatever. Going When the one goes away to college, it's a huge stress, a huge issue. You get to stay together for another year. 100% there will be somebody that does that. Hey, I got a, I got a partner who's still in high school. I'm going to stick it out there for him or her. I, easily I could see that because it, pro- it would happen all the time now if it were allowed. And then, you know what? If all your friends did it, that's the situation where I could see me doing it. I don't think that anything else would keep me in high school a fifth year except for the idea that all my friends were going to do it. If all my friends were going to do it and we were just going to... Because while you obviously grow out of some of your high school friends, I probably talked to probably five or six of my high school friends and probably three with a whole lot of regularity. Um... When you're in high school, those are the only people that matter to you. So if you have a group of 10 and they're all going to stay, that's what would get me to stay. Hey, we're going to stick it out. We're going to be here. We're going to run this school. We're going to play sports again. 
and we're going to go out and, and just own the town. Like, that would keep me in school. That's probably the only one. Text line open, 802-585-3026. The unnamed texter. Oh, no, no. John in Essex says, I don't see any advantage athletically or for educational pur- purposes. Only reason would be if it helped gain money to drive a further education. John in Essex says that. He says, athletically, I think you'd do better in junior college to enhance your ability or get to a larger D1 school. Um, so I'll address the first first. So John says, the only advantage would be financial. I covered that. Yes. If you were impacted by the pandemic and this can help you get another buffer year before having to go to college or enter the workforce, yes. I think it, that's understandable for everybody. Financially, if you had to stay, people would get that. He says, athletically, I think you'd do better in a junior college format. That is not true because junior college takes away a year of eligibility. High school would not. So if you go back to school for a year in high school and you can enhance your status or enhance your opportunities, you would retain all four years of college eligibility. When you go to junior college, that clock starts. I play a year. Now I get three years. And you're right. Going to junior college is a great thing. I coached junior college baseball for two years. I saw a lot of guys that came in as D3 players end up being D1 players based on that one year. They were great. And it was great for them, but they burned a year of eligibility. If I don't have to burn that year of eligibility, then going back to high school could be a viable thing for me. But it's a very interesting debate. And it's so funny, too, because now, I think when we're in high school, a lot of us can't wait to get out. Just can't wait to get out. I was... In a, I was never in a rush to graduate and get out. I started getting very excited, like in that summer. But like, I wasn't counting down to college when I was in high school. But I think while we're there, we're all ready to be gone. But now you look back and you go, oh, "High school is the best time of my life." Like most people think, high school was the best time of their lives. So now I think a lot of people are sitting there going, "Saying, hell yeah, man, I'd go back to school." But in the moment, I don't know how many people would ever say that. So very interesting, and someone else says only in the state of Kentucky. So uh, very interesting stuff there. Thanks to Adam Kaufman for playing along with my question. Brady Farkas show here, the full show podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, on WDEVradio.com. I think the hardest part, by the way, of, of saying you'll go back for the fifth year is just the stigma that would go with it. Okay, You see someone who's stayed back a grade, and they are the 19-year-old senior, and Everybody's looking at that guy a little differently. Everybody's looking at that girl a little differently. Now, I think this case, everybody understands what's gone on but and what's led to this. But I think the stigma would be hard to overcome for me. And, and look, I don't think that that's necessarily great reasoning. I think that I am someone who probably cares more about what people think than I like to think that I do. And I think the stigma might bother me. Also interesting athletically from the schools, you might have an eighth grader on varsity who's 14. He's playing against a 19-year-old fifth-year senior. I, I don't know if it's safety, competitive balancer, but there's something that's not quite right in that. All right, moving on. We do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? And, and it would be a terrible mistake for Bill Belichick to bring Cam back because Cam can't play football anymore. He just can't play quarterback in the National Football League. They really said that? With all due respect to Danny Amendola, Danny Amendola don't know what the hell he's talking about when it comes to the Patriot way. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What? Longtime ESPN radio host Mike Greenberg talking about the Patriots. The team that is going to benefit the most is going to be the New England Patriots. If you think that Bill Belichick sitting there at 7-9, and nine, watching not only his former quarterback Tom Brady win a Super Bowl in his first year, but watching his division, which he has long dominated, get so much better, I think we should be expecting Bill Belichick to make a bunch of moves really, really quickly. Patriots are going to be very aggressive. I've heard that multiple times now over the course of the offseason. The Patriots are going to be very, very aggressive. They have to be aggressive. The Patriots have to be aggressive. They have about $50-plus million to spend, and there's about to be a zillion free agents. The Patriots better use that money. 
But don't lose sight. Priority number one is still getting the quarterback situation addressed. If they want to be good long-term, they need to get the quarterback situation figured out. And again, you know I'm an advocate for it. Bring back Cam and draft a QB. That is my plan. That is what I want. But they have to figure out the quarterback situation. They have a bunch of money. They can acquire talent at a lot of different places. But it doesn't matter at all if they can't find the quarterback. They need, though, to figure that out and then start making moves at the wide receiver position. Allen Robinson might be available. Golden Tate's available. There's Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson. There's going to be a lot of players available. It's going to be a bloodbath for the next week in the NFL with the amount of veteran players that get cut. We saw Kyle Van Noy get cut from the Dolphins. He signed a $50 million deal last year. Cap casualties are crazy this year because of the COVID impact on the salary cap. Salary cap not going up at its usual rate is causing teams to slash players left and right and clear payroll. The Patriots can be one of the few teams to be the beneficiary of that and scoop up really good veteran players. They can absolutely make noise right away. The Patriots can really be competitive again next year if they find the right mix and enough veteran players, but they also still need to plan for the future. I think this team, be aggressive all you want. Spend money, much like the Red Sox. If you can sign guys to one-year deals or prove-it deals because you have opportunity waiting for them, do it. Get one-year guys. Get stopgap guys. Put a representative team out there for 2021 while also drafting well and developing behind the scenes. I mean, the Red Sox and Patriots seem very, very similar to me right now. The the Patriots have opportunity for players. Sign guys to one-year, two-year bounce-back deals. Let them play this year. Have a team that is much better in 2021 than it was in 2020. And while you're at it, go and develop drafted players, young players, undrafted free agents, and a young quarterback on the side and start building the core of the next great Patriots team. This isn't that hard for me. I'm not signing a bunch of 30-year-olds who could cut to five-year deals, but I'll sign 30-year-olds to one-year deals, to two-year deals, while I develop all my young kids, and I still need to do that. Don't lose sight of the future goals, but be aggressive now while you have the money. And if you sign everybody to a one- or two-year deal, you'll still have a bunch of money next year when guys come off the books. That's best-case scenario, is I want to see the Patriots draft and develop, get some young talent, build for the future, have a better team on the field this year, and then while I'm at it, still get some cap space next year. That seems like the play to me, just like it is for the Red Sox. But the crop of free agents is huge. It's going to continue to surprise us. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, when we come back after the commercial break, I don't know if the Red Sox are going to win, but I know that Haim Bloom just keeps on winning. Why do I love Haim Bloom today? Let me tell you about another great move that the Red Sox made. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. The Ad Council. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show right here. Final segment on this Thursday. We've got high school basketball coming up between Lake Region and Lamoille. Brent Curtis will be courtside for that one. We'll have about uh, 10 minutes to go here on the Brady Farkas Show. Reminder, tomorrow we've got an early high school basketball game. We're on the air for a few minutes, and then we'll be out of here by about 5.40 tomorrow. So I will be putting out something tomorrow digitally on the Brady Farkas Show podcast page. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I'm fighting the urge to get excited about the Red Sox. I've told you for months about how the Red Sox are going to finish in fourth place, and I still think they are, but High and Bloom just keeps on sucking me in with good move after good move. The Red Sox today signed Danny Santana. If it's a name that you don't know, it's a name that uh, I'll tell you about and that I'm excited about. 
Danny Santana is 30 years old. He is not some young pup prospect, but Danny Santana is 30 years old, coming off an injury, missed almost all of last season, was ineffective with the Texas Rangers when he played. Hit like 160 in 15 games and was out the rest of the year. In 2019, Danny Santana hit 28 home runs and had 21 steals. 28 homers and 21 steals. It's not easy to go 20-20 in the majors. And even with a juiced ball, you know, in 2019, I still got to think that Santana's got pretty good pop on his own. Danny Santana is a switch hitter. Danny Santana is another versatile athletic option for this team. Okay, Marwin Gonzalez, versatile and athletic. Santana, versatile and athletic. Both switch hitters. Kike Hernandez can play all over the field. This is a Red Sox team that right before our eyes is getting more athletic and is getting more fun and more interchangeable. Guys that can play all over the field and can give Alex Cora options on every single night. They still have shown they have the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Bobby Dahlbeck had had you know two home runs yesterday in spring training uh, against the Rays. Then no, not against the Rays. Uh, I can't remember anymore. We had two home runs yesterday. Um, then. Oh, it was the Twins yesterday. J.D. Martinez can still hit the ball out of the ballpark. Rafael Devers and Bogarts, they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Franchi Cordero, that's what he does. So you've got guys with power, but you've also got Santana, Hernandez, Gonzalez, uh, guys that can just, you know, Verdugo, guys that can scoot, guys that can move, that can play all over, that can do different things. This is exciting to me. And it's the same kind of resume I've asked Hyam Bloom to go for all off season. A bounce back guy. Okay? A guy that doesn't cost you a lot of money. It's like less than two million dollars. So doesn't cost a lot of money. It's a one year deal. So he doesn't block any prospect you may have in the future. And he gives your baseball team a chance to be better this year. That's what this is all about. Much like the Patriots, I want the Red Sox to put together a representative baseball team this season. And they have done that. With their moves, they have done that. There's still holes. They're still not perfect. But they have found a way, in my mind, to put together a name, you know, a a roster full of big league caliber players. And maybe they surprise me and they end up going to the playoffs. Or they sell off guys at the deadline like I think they're going to, and they get more prospects, and the rebuild just keeps going quicker and quicker and quicker. I don't think the Red Sox at this point are that far off. I think they will trade away some of these guys, a Santana, a Hernandez, or I'm sorry, a Marlon Gonzalez. I think they could trade away a Matt Barnes. I think they could maybe Erod, maybe J.D. Martinez. They could trade away a lot of these guys, get more prospects, more major league ready, upper prospect depth, and next year, maybe in the offseason, go out and spend a lot. I, I think the Red Sox are not as far away as they seemed three weeks ago. Maybe Danny Santana doesn't work out, but it's the kind of guy that Hyam Bloom should have been going after all along, and he has been. The last couple of weeks, he has been. Power-speed combo, switch hitter, athleticism. I love everything about it. As for what it means for the rest of the roster, it's interesting in that um, it could really, really force Michael Chavis off the team. If Danny Santana is here on opening day and is playing well, where is Michael Chavis playing? Santana, so you're going to have a backup catcher. That's no doubt. Backup catcher is there. You're going to have Gonzalez and you're going to have you know, maybe you're probably you might only go with a three-man bench. Gonzalez can play everywhere. Is Chavis the third guy? The catcher Gonzalez and who? Chavis or Santana. If Santana plays well, Chavis goes to AAA. And Chavis is, and I like Chavis. He has power. He can play second. He can play third. He can play first. Works hard. Strikes out way too much. I like Chavis, but he may not have a a spot on this team on opening day at this rate. Because there's just more versatility there. Santana, lefty, righty hitter, runs well. Chavis doesn't run that well. I mean, 28 home runs and 21 steals last year or two years ago for Danny Santana. 
Marwin Gonzalez, who's been a really good big player, big league player for a long time. I, I love what Heim Bloom's done. And I'm fighting the urge to go back on my prediction because the Blue Jays haven't gotten worse. The Rays haven't gotten worse. The Yankees haven't gotten worse. The Red Sox have gotten a lot better in the last couple of weeks than I thought they were. But those other teams, they're still there too, and they still play baseball at a very high level. But I love what the Red Sox are doing, and I love the trajectory that they're on. And I know that some fans won't love watching a team that goes 80 and 82, but I think this thing can turn fairly quickly for the Red Sox in the next year or two because they're doing everything I wanted them to do. Young uh, Bounce-back players, one-year deals, guys that can be traded or guys that can grow with you potentially, good versatility, good athleticism. They have a ton of power. They now have some good speed, some good energy guys, some good clubhouse guys. The big question is still the rotation. Sale's not there. Erod coming back. Evaldi's never been consistently healthy enough. Richards, Pavetta, we just don't know. There's questions on the mound and in the bullpen. But you can start to see that Hyam Bloom really knows what he's doing as far as I'm concerned. All right, that will do it for me. So what we're going to do is we're going to step aside, take a commercial break. We'll come back with high school basketball, boys hoops between Lake Region and Lamoille. Brent Curtis is courtside for that. Tomorrow, I will be here for a couple of minutes, but the bulk of the show will be done digitally, and we will have it on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. So go subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. All right, that's it for me. Thanks to Adam Kaufman for joining us, as he does every single Thursday. I'll see you tomorrow on the podcast only. And uh, High School Hoops is next. Lake Region and Lamoille. Brent Curtis is there. It's High School Hoops on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.